be here and happy Sabbath to those who are watching <clears throat> from near and from far. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pause to thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for the privilege we have to worship on another Sabbath day. I pray, Lord, as we open your Bible, as we speak from it, as we read the pages of scripture, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would you would inspire us through your Holy Spirit. Speak through me, I pray at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know some of the dates I'm going to give now, I'm going to be dating myself. But uh, a week or so ago, week and a half ago now, and and at times like these in Adventist circles, we often hear a chatter of information about who this person is and 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 where they might fit in the apocalyptic end time landscape. Oftentimes, people say. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one that will bring about the scenario of Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation 13, we know there's a scenario uh, that will play out in the end of time. Revelation 13 is divided into two parts. You have the first beast or the first kingdom or nation. And then you have the second beast or the second kingdom or nation. And as you read Revelation 13 and you study Revelation 13, you see that there's this, 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 um, this relationship that the first and second beast form. The first beast, Roman Catholicism or the papacy, and the second beast, America. We see this relationship where they come closer and closer together until they basically both work with each other, help each other out to enforce, as you read Revelation 13, worship practices that we see there named as the mark of the beast. And so part of the reason why in Adventist or, uh, you know, circles, we keep an eye on U.S. politics is because of this Revelation 13 reality that America and the Vatican will play a role in bringing about end time scenarios. And so we keep an eye on it. We watch for it. We watch for it. But I remember just to throw some dates out, just to throw some dates out. I remember 1997. Now, I know that was before some of you were born. In 1997, it was the 480th anniversary of the Reformation. And on October the 31st, the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church signed an agreement saying, we agree on the subject of justification. This was huge news in end time scenario circles. The Lutherans, the founders, the originators, so to speak, of the Reformation, Martin Luther came from them. On the 480th anniversary of him nailing his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral, 
They signed a declaration saying that the Reformation was in essence a mistake, a misunderstanding. Boom. Wow. This was it. Reformation being reversed, coming together. Then in 1998, I believe it was, the Pope wrote a letter called Dies Domine that was, in, that was entitled the, the Day of the Lord, Dies Domine. And in that thing, which was all about Sunday, he said that Sunday is a right that people need respected and people need to ensure that civil legislation respects their right to keep Sunday holy. Boom, this was it. Civil legislation, respecting their right to keep Sunday holy. This was mind-blowing, 1998. In 2001, we watched the unfortunate events when the planes hit the World Trade Center and they came tumbling down. And in the aftermath of that event, in America, they passed this thing called the 2001 Patriot Act where freedom and liberties were just stripped away. They were just stripped away, completely stripped away. And people said, this, this is the beginning of the end. Can you see how they're taking away freedom and liberties? 2001 with the Patriot Act, and now they can listen to you. They can, they can eavesdrop, they can do this, they can do this, they can do this, they can do this. Our liberties are gone. Totalitarianism will soon be here around the corner. 2000 and Zero, 2000 to 2004, George Bush was the president and he was elected with a broad appeal to both an evangelical and a Catholic base. This was it. We see Catholics and Protestants coming together to elect a president, this union between apostate Protestantism and Roman Catholicism coming together, electing a president. This is gonna be it. We see this alliance coming together. Bush went. He's no more. In 2005, Pope Benedict was elected. They even heard some people say that his name Benedict come from the name Benediction. It's the last one. In the 2008, some people correctly predicted there would be a financial crisis. And when you put James chapter 5, verse 7, where it says the rich men of the earth will howl and weep and Revelation 13 together, boom, this financial crisis will bring in the end of the world. 2008, 12, 13 years ago. The financial crisis did come, but the end of the world didn't come. The financial crisis did not lead to a Sunday law. It did not happen. 2009, people started talking about the green Sabbath day. We started to hear more about climate change. Then 2013, Pope Francis was elected a Jesuit. First Jesuit Pope elected. This is it. The first Jesuit Pope. And do you know who the Jesuits are? Boom, 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 boom. People would read and explain the Jesuit oath. Da, 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 da. In 2015, the Pope, for the first time in the history of the United States of America, addressed Congress. Congress. Now it's getting serious. The Pope, religious leader, is there addressing Congress in America, the government has invited the Pope to address them. This is serious now, serious. 2015, 
in the US, gay marriage was legalized. And now we see the bastion from the Garden of Eden, marriage has been attacked. And in 2016, Trump became president with a strong Christian evangelical support base. He's gonna be the one, look at this guy, doesn't play to the, he's gonna be the one. Trump's gone, Bush is gone, Benedict's gone. And in 2020, COVID-19 just appeared on the horizon. We have lockdowns, we have mask mandates. And we're hearing words that there's going to be forced vaccinations. And all of these things, lockdowns, masks, vaccinations, are on a one-way road to the Sunday law. In 2021, Biden becomes president. The second Catholic president in US history. So now he, he, is the one. John F. Kennedy was the first, he was assassinated. He didn't play ball, he didn't play ball. Now we got Joe Biden, liberal Catholic in the White House. And he will be the one, he will be the one. He will be the one. He will institute the Sunday law in cooperation with the Pope via climate change. But friends, brothers and sisters, God is not waiting on the Catholic church before he comes. God is not waiting for the Pope before he comes. God doesn't have a book in heaven that plays out of all these events. And when that finally happens, I guess it's time for me to come now. Oh yeah, there's, 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 a, there's another Catholic president. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I guess it's, no, no, no. God's not waiting on these events before he comes. Yes, we know the final movements will be rapid ones. Yes, we know that these things should wake us up. And while all these things will come to play, in some form or fashion. And while we should know and need to know our prophetic identity, who we are and where we stand in the, in the landscape of time. And if you don't know, then you need to know, then you should study. Well, we need to know these things. We need to understand that God is not waiting on these events in world and religious and civil history to happen before he's like, oh, I guess it's time for me to come and, and take my people home. And if our spiritual or religious life is only, listen to me carefully, is only motivated by what we read on the news, in 20 years time, you'll be able to recount 20 years of history like I just did there. Oh, in 2021, yeah, Biden was president. Yeah, I remember that. Wow, what a time to be alive. 2020, remember that COVID-19? My goodness. Wow, what a time to be alive. Let me tell you how it was. 
If our religious life is motivated only by what we see in the news, it has a weak and a shallow motivation and it will eventually run out of steam. Our religious and spiritual life has to be motivated by something deeper, something stronger than secular world events. If that's what it's motivated by, if that's what drives us, if that's what pushes us to church or, or, or some semblance of spirituality, it will eventually run out of petrol and run on fumes only. In, Reve so in Matthew chapter 24, turn with me there in your Bibles, you know, bread and butter text of the Bible, but sometimes we need to be reminded of some of the, the importance of these texts. We're at Matthew chapter 24, and there we read in verse, Matthew 24 and verse 13 to 15. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 to 15, the Bible says this, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And that text is applicable today, especially as we are in the UK going through, what is it, our third lockdown. And it seems like there's no end in sight. There's a need for us to have a, a spirit or an attitude of endurance. I don't believe that's the full interpretation of the text, but we can apply that to our lives today. We need to have some endurance in the times in which we're living. And then it goes on and says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, and then shall the end come. The gospel of the kingdom needs to be preached in all the world. And then shall the end come. It goes on for verse 15. When this gospel has been preached, then shall the end come. Not the message of vaccinations, not the message of COVID-19, not the message of a Catholic Pope, but the message of a crucified and risen savior. When that message is preached to all the world and when that message is lived by the church as well, then shall the end come. When there's a people that are motivated by love and not fear and selfishness, when the message is given by a people who are living in Christ, who have the righteousness of Christ, who exude that to their friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, and community, when they exude that and when they illustrate and demonstrate that, then will the end come. Then will the end come. Prophecy should be what guides us. It should be what, what roots us. It should be what grounds us. But is prophecy is the source of our daily motivation will eventually be fixated on a prophetic treadmill that will be fueled not by the gospel, but by world events. In the Bible, it says it's the love of Christ that constrains me. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus there illustrates the most perfect motivation for the gospel. He says the first three, four, five words of the verse are, if you love me. If you love me. Doesn't ask how much you know, but if you love me. All these things are good to know. We should know. They should guide us. 
They should let us know the times in which we're living. You know, the Bible says that the men of Issachar had, were, were wise. They had understanding because they knew the times in which they lived. We should know the times in which we live. We should know what's happening around us. But the root and the ground of our spiritual life needs to be deeper than what we read on the BBC. It must be rooted and grounded in God's word, motivated by the love of God and compelled to serve and preach a gospel of a crucified and risen savior. That will change hearts. Only that will change hearts. Only that will change minds. You know, I read one of my favorite Christian authors, Ellen White, a prophet, I believe. She talks about the messages that will need to be preached or shared at the end. In the Christ Object Lessons, the next excellent book to read, it talks about the parables of Jesus. It says, those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, behold, your God. Talk about the nearness of Jesus' return. The last rays of merciful light, the last rays of mercy to be given to the world is what? The last rays of light, the last rays of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of the character of love. The last rays of merciful light, the last rays of mercy to be given to the world is not a warning on an event, but it's a revelation of the character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Let me read that last half of the sentence again. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. She goes on and says that the shortness of time frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend, this should not be the great motive. Here may motivate someone. It should not be the great motive for it savors of selfishness. I've got to get ready because time is short. That's your only motivation. It savors, she says, of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God be held before us, that we may be compelled to write action through fear? It ought not be so. Jesus, she says, is attractive. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through the rough pathways of life. Bible Echo, June 25, 1894, paragraph 7. She contrasts the shortness of time, frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend, should not be the great motive, but rather, but rather, because that one reeks of selfishness, but rather it should be, we should be compelled to right action because we see Jesus as attractive full of love, mercy, and compassion. 
that he wants to be our friend, that he wants to walk with us through the rough pathways of life. Jesus is not waiting on an event to take place in the world before he comes. Yes, there is a prophetic time map. Yes, the first beast and the second beast have to come together. They enact civil laws that mandates worship. Yes, those things have to happen. But there's something broader and bigger than that, that Jesus, I believe, is waiting on for him to come. And that is, he's waiting for his people. He's waiting for you and I, A, to preach the gospel, and B, to get ready. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, that the gospel already went to the whole world in the first century. But Jesus did not come. Why? Because even though they took the gospel to the world, as a church, I don't believe they were ready. As a people, they weren't ready. We read about them in the church of Ephesus, that they had, they were hardworking, they were diligent, they preached the gospel, but they had no love. Though they preached, without the love of Christ constraining and compelling them, it did not result in the return of Jesus. Jesus is waiting for a church without spot, wrinkle, or any. He's waiting for a people who don't just know the theory, but a people who live it and it demonstrates in the practical areas of their life that they are the hands and feet of Jesus as his church. In Revelation chapter 14, if you turn with me there, Revelation chapter 14, we have here the, the, the three angels' messages. And I'm not going to read the three angels' message. We've read them many times um, in church. Revelation 14, though, we have the three angels' messages. Verses 6 to 12 is the verses traditionally given for the three angels' message. I mean, the, 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 the outline of Revelation 13. Revelation 13, you've got the first beast, second beast, and then you have the mark of the beast, the end of Revelation 13. And then in contrast to the mark of the beast, the end of Revelation 13, you have uh, the 144,000 that appear in Revelation chapter 14. And this group of people follow the lamb wherever he goes. And then Revelation 14, verse 6, I believe he kind of transitions as, well, you've just seen uh, the mark of the beast. You've just seen the 144,000 who have victory over the mark of the beast. Now I'm going to share with you in verses 6 to 12 what these people believe and what they preach. And you start to read the three angels' message. And then you come down to verse 12. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Verse 13, and I heard another voice saying, write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Verse 14, and I looked and now he sees this, this um, end time, second coming scene. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. So he sees this man, son of man, on his head a crown and in his hand a sickle. If you don't know what a sickle is, a sickle is a, a piece of metal that's shaped like that, like a kind of a, a moon shape. And, and in the olden days, a farmer would use a sickle to cut the, the, um, to cut the crops. They wouldn't have tractors back then. They use a sickle, hold it, and it's, it's basically a huge curved blade, and they would cut the crops with a sickle. That's how they were harvesting. When it was ready, put the sickle in, cut the crops down. 
And verse 15 says, and another angel came from the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time is come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Here, right at the end of the three angels message, we have a picture of Jesus. And the two things we see with Jesus, one on his head is a crown, he's the coming king, and two in his hand is a sickle. And he is told in verse 15, to put your sickle in and reap, cut the, reap, reap the harvest. So we have this imagery that when Jesus comes back the second time, he's coming as a conquering king, point number one, because of the crown. And point number two, he's coming as a farmer, so to speak, collecting his harvest. Put in your sickle and reap. Put in your sickle and reap the harvest. At the second coming. Who is the harvest. Just turn back here in Revelation chapter 14, Revelation 14, just turn a few pages previous. Just before Revelation, you have John, 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 and Jude. And just before that, you have Peter. And just before Peter, you have James. So just turn a few pages previous, before the Johns, before the Jews, and before the Peters, and you have the book of James. Little epistle, little, little letter, James chapter 5. And in James chapter 5, the Bible says there, verse 7, James chapter 5 and verse 7, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, husbandman, not a fancy way you could just say for the farmer. Behold the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Hold your finger there and turn to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. Hold your finger there, Mark chapter four. In Mark chapter four, we have a parable, verse 26 to 29. Mark chapter four, verse 26 to 29, and the Bible says, so is the kingdom of God, as a man should cast seed into the ground. Verse 27, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow. Verse 28, for the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full, full ear. Verse 29, it's the verse I want to read, verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the what? Sickle. Revelation 14 told us that when Jesus comes, the son of man comes, he's got a crown on his head, he's a king, and in his hand, he's got a sickle. Mark chapter 4 verse 29 tells us that when the fruit has come out, immediately he puts in the sickle to reap the fruit. James 5 verse 7 tells us, as we just go back there, that the husbandman or the farmer is waiting for the fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. When you put these verses together, in Revelation 14, we're told Jesus comes with a sickle. In Mark chapter four, verse 29, we're told that when the fruit comes, immediately the sickle goes and reaps it. 
And James chapter 5, verse 7, it tells us that the husbandman, or you could say Jesus, is waiting for the fruit of the harvest. We often say that we're waiting for Jesus to come. When you put these verses together, yeah, we're waiting for Jesus to come. We are waiting for him. But when you put these verses together, you actually can see that Jesus is, is also waiting for us. It says the husbandman, James 5 verse 7, is waiting for the fruit. Mark 4 verse 29 tells us that when the fruit appears, immediately it's harvested. And Revelation 14 verse 15 tells us that when Jesus comes, he's coming with a sickle because he's coming to harvest. Ultimately, Jesus is not waiting on a Catholic pope. He is not waiting on forced vaccinations. He is not waiting on even climate change. Ultimately, Jesus is waiting on you and I to A, preach the gospel, and B, have the fruits of the Spirit in our life and live the gospel and demonstrate the gospel and be the gospel in our communities so that what we, we, we are following Christ, we are following his word, every bit that he shows us in his word, ultimately to follow him on a daily basis so that in, in James 5 verse 7, what, what, what's the end result? James 5 verse 7, just turn back to that verse. It says that the husbandman is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And it says, has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. So we can live the gospel. We can follow Christ every single day. We can receive what I believe is re referred to as the early rain so that Jesus can pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and that we can then preach the gospel and live the gospel with a power that has not been seen since apostolic time. That is what God is waiting for. Too often we get fixated and focused disproportionately on the things that matter less. What really matters is the fruit of the spirit in our life, our churches and our communities. The rain, the latter rain is an analogy for the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring on the Holy Spirit will not just be given to anybody but it will be given to those who have allowed Christ to mold and shape their lives in the small ways each and every day. Jesus is coming with a sickle. The sickle is put in when the fruit is there. And Jesus is waiting for that fruit to appear. When that fruit appears, then, then, He's coming. Jesus is not waiting for that. Whatever that might be. That external, sometimes sensational focus. Jesus is waiting for this. That can help to get this going. 
Well, only the love of Christ keeps this going and motivates it and inspires it and gives it the fuel to go on on a daily basis. And only the love of Christ molding and shaping the heart will be what seals and changes us completely. In many ways, we read this analogy in Revelation as well of Jesus is holding back winds of strife. Until as Revelation 7 says, the servants of God are sealed until they're sealed. When something is sealed, when something is sealed, it, 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 there's, no, there's no leak, there's no gap. Last summer, unfortunately, like many of you, I, I terribly missed going to Abadaran. For those of you who are watching not from the UK, Abadaran is our church's campsite in Northern Wales. Beautiful place. And when we're there, one of the things I like to do is to go and do water sports on the kayaks or the canoes or the jet ski. And when the water's cold, what I like to put on is a dry suit. A dry suit is different to a wet suit because a dry suit keeps you dry. Hence the name dry suit. You can have on your thermal under, underwears, base layer, socks, leggings, top. And then you put this suit on that goes around your feet, comes up, goes around, seals around your hands with these tight rubbers. Seals around your neck with another tight rubber. And then it zips with a waterproof zip around your back. You're sealed. You can go into the cold water. And as you're there in the cold water, because you've got your thermals on, you don't feel the cold. You're just quite warm and toasty. The only thing that might get a little bit cold is your hands or your face. And there you are because you've got this suit on and you're sealed. Now, the worst thing possible, sometimes people, you know, I, say, uh, I know some people, they, 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 they say, and, and these, these, these suits aren't cheap, and, and they go on eBay and they say, ah, oh, I found a secondhand one. Well, when you read the description of the secondhand suits, they sometimes say perfect condition, but seal, seal is broken, needs replacing. No one's going to buy that and think, oh, oh, the seal's broken, it's cheap, I'm just going to get that, and it's okay for me not to replace the seal. Because if you take that dry suit that has a broken seal and it could just be a crack on the wrist or a small little indentation on the, on the rubber on their neck, just a small, small little thing, but that one small break in the seal will let the cold water in and a dry suit will no longer be a dry suit, it will become a soaking suit. Jesus is looking for a people that are so entrenched in the love of God they're so sealed, there's no breaks, there's no nothing. They are, they, they, their relationship with him is just strong and perfect and, and it's just there. They are sealed in his love. And when he sees that people, when he sees that people, he says, those are my people. It's time for me to come home. It's time for me to come home with a crown on my head as the conquering king and the sickle in my hand as the husbandman to reap the harvest. Then, 
That is when I come home. That is when I come home. The greatest event that the history of humanity is waiting for is for the people of God to have the character of God in their hearts and minds so much that it's a reflection of Jesus. That ultimately is what God is waiting for. May we keep our eyes fixed on him. May we keep our hearts surrendered to him. May we be focused, fixed on Jesus. And may that drive us and motivate us to share the gospel in the world today. Because there are still millions, yea, even billions, who have not heard the basics of the gospel, let alone the complex parts. May that drive us to share Christ where we live and maybe even further afield to break out completely our comfort zone and go somewhere where God may be calling us to be a frontier missionary. I pray the love of Christ may compel us that we may have the fruit for the husband to reap the sickle. Let's bow our heads for prayer, Father in heaven. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I pray, Lord, that the thing you wait for ultimately may be the fruit in our hearts. Bless us, Lord. May we be focused. And if our focus has been off, Lord, reorientate, reposition us to keep our eyes fixed solely on you. May we follow you each day in the small and little things, step by step, day by day, with an early rain experience that we may be ready to receive a final outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain in our lives. Bless us, Lord, to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.